Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Maria. Hi, everybody. My name is Maria. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hi, Maria. I just want to say, if you're listening to this on the podcast, um, I'm from the Bronx, and if you have kids in the car, you might want to listen to this later. Um, I, I try not to curse when I speak, but it often happens, so uh, I'll see what I can do. Um, I was just getting nervous before I got up here, and then I thought, you know what? These people ate out of the garbage, too. So uh, that made me feel better, because that's why I come to OA, because you're like me, you know? I know a lot of people really struggle when they get to OA with being here. I was not one of those people. Um, OA to me was the oasis in the desert. I was someone who was so beaten down by food and compulsive eating and, and had done everything with food that you shouldn't or, or thought you couldn't. I was so relieved when I got here. I was so relieved to hear people talk about food the way I thought about food and it just, um, it, it just for me was a haven, a real haven, and it still, it still is, it still is. I think the beauty of OA to me is that I've changed dramatically in the time that I've been in here. My needs have changed dramatically in the time time that I've been in here, and the OA has always risen to the occasion to meet me and and be what I need at that point in time. So, uh, you know, I I come from um, I come from the Bronx, you know. That we hear Mickey's wonderful brogue, and then I get up here. But you know, what are you going to do? Um, I, <laughs> I, um, I, we moved around the country quite a bit before the time I was four years old. My father uh, is a recovering alcoholic, and he was very busy um, doing alcoholic research. So he had to, he would burn bridges at one university after the other. We moved all around the country. And we ended up uh, back in New York, where my parents are from, and. Um, he left when I was five. My mother finally got fed up with him and kicked him out. And I, um, I remember that day very clearly. I remember, uh, I remember them fighting, and I remember him leaving. And, and it was one of the most pivotal days of my life because things really changed from that point on. My mother was raised to be an Italian housewife. She was not raised to suddenly have two kids to take care of on her own. And um, she decided, decided to go back to school and, and work full-time, and so my brother and I were kind of left to our own devices. You know, it, it, uh, as a result, I just kind of grew up in front of the television. I grew up in front of the television, I grew up with TV dinners, and I grew up with junk food. And, like, I wonder how my brain even functions at all, considering the lack of nourishment that I experienced at that time period. You know, like, I would come home from school and eat a jar of frosting, you know, and that was like, you know, snack and dinner, you know, and uh, it's just amazing that, um, you know, I have a brain that functions. It, sometimes it doesn't function that well, uh, but I blame it on being blonde now, not on the food issue. Um, so um, I I was raised in this make-believe world of television, and um, I was... Uh, I was a social pariah. I was an outcast at school because I was the fat kid. 
I had um, Coke bottle glasses and terrible acne and long matted unkempt hair. We were very poor. I wore the same thing to school every day. Um, and I was, I was teased. I was bullied. Um, I was picked on. And I hated school and I hated myself. Um, I would leave school and I had a friend at school who lived in my building and she was really skinny. And they, people would tease her because she was really skinny. And we would come home, and on the way home, we'd try to avoid the Catholic schoolgirls in, in, in our neighborhood because they would try to beat us up. And we'd, we'd, like, try to avoid them and get home. And I'd have, like, a two-hour reprieve at her house. And uh, then I would go home, and I would, um, I would pick fights with my brother. My brother and I uh, used to... We would argue incessantly about pretty much anything, and I, I a lot of times would instigate the fights. And in recovery and doing my step work, I kept thinking back, like, why did I do that? Like, he, he would beat the crap out of me, and I, and, I, and I would bring these fights on, and I thought, why did I do that? And I realized that he was the only human contact I had, you know, and if I was going to get the crap beaten out of me, then at least it was some human contact, you know, because I was so isolated and I was not allowed to participate with other people at school because I was the fat girl. I wasn't able to sit at their table. I wasn't able to have conversations with them. People didn't want to be seen talking to me because I was fat and I was unattractive. Um, a lot of the teachers were not, you know, this is way before now we have, like, the president's wife fall on the get the kids healthy bandwagon, but back in back in the day, like I was a pioneer for the fat kids, you know what I mean? I was like one of the originals. And back in the day, you know, teachers were like, ooh, fat kid. They weren't they weren't loving and kind and especially not in the Bronx. Uh, you know, they just were like you know, they were not they weren't pleased to have me in the classroom and so um there just was no support and uh it was a lonely existence i i talked i'm you know i have 40 minutes so that's why i'm going into such detail but also because surprisingly for me in my recovery when i'm grappling with things the most when i'm struggling the most now yeah, i go I, and I do my step work, it always traces back to that time period. It always goes back to there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling uh, insecure. I'm, I don't like um, the amount of money I have to purchase clothing. Well, because I was the fat kid. It, it always, I have to always go back and remember I'm not there anymore. But it was a really, it was a very pivotal time in my life that I've, I've had to do quite a bit to help heal from. About the time I got into junior high, I, I, was, I was getting more conscious about my weight and taking care of myself and how I looked, and uh, I got to high school, and I, and I started restricting. I started um, trying to get my weight to be normal, and I would, you know, I would eat, like, I'd have cookie, a cookie for lunch, and then I was not allowed to have dinner. And then that wouldn't work. And so, um, you know, I got this kind of like juggle of a little too much today, a little less tomorrow. And I, I tried that for a couple of years. And about the time I was 16, um, I, I became bulimic. Um, it was, you know, for, I think for a lot of women talk about this, but becoming, you know, turning, becoming a female and maturing and going through puberty as, as a person who is, has an eating disorder, for whatever reason, is a big trigger for us. Um, and for me, be, you know, moving into womanhood and, and being, going from the kid to the woman was overwhelming. And I think I tried to stunt that and just, 
and just felt so terrible about myself that uh, that binging and purging became a new activity. I, I hated binging and purging. I never enjoyed the process. Uh, it would seem, at the time, I had no idea what was happening. All I knew was I was trying to diet. I couldn't diet. The next thing I knew, I was eating too much food. And so in order to lose weight, I would purge. And um, it, it was just, that was all I knew at the time. And when I came in and the first time I did step work, that's pretty much all I knew. But when I went deeper in my step work, what I realized was there were numerous things occurring that I didn't have the skills, I didn't have the know-how, I didn't have the coping mechanisms to deal with. And so what would happen was I would binge because I didn't know how to cope with life. And because I would binge, I would feel guilty, and then I would purge. And there was something about this, the, this self-hatred component that would be satisfied for me from, with purging. And purging, is, it's a very violent act. It's very violent. It's very violent to do that to yourself. I hate throwing up. When I get sick, I got sick last year. I wanted, you know, I, and I was naturally vomiting. I wanted to cry. I was crying. I hate vomiting. I hate it. But yet I did it to myself because I was, I just, I was so dedicated to not being fat and, and just the self-hatred. You know, I just, that's what I did. I, I ended up um, going to, uh, to college in upstate New York, back, back east, and uh, I, I'm also recovering in AA, and I bottomed out in Alcoholics Anonymous while I was there. I uh, ended up getting drunk one night and trying to commit suicide, and so I ended up in a treatment center for alcoholism. While I was in treatment, and I always share this, while I was in treatment, I was in treatment for five weeks, I put on 25 pounds in a five-week time period. Um, most compulsive readers go, pounds 25. Yeah, that's about right, you know. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. Um, you know, they had it like a, they, the menu was for people who had become emaciated from their drinking. And I was like, well, that's not me, you know. Uh, I was the kind who, you know, the only time I ever drove drunk, I drove drunk once was to get chocolate chip pancakes. Like, that was it. You know, like, that was my one, you know, the only time I ever drove drunk. Um, I, I really, the two diseases really kind of worked hand in hand. And I would get drunk a lot and go and binge because there was no guilt and no shame. You know, I do know a lot of people in OA who don't drink just because they can't make abstinent food choices after they've had a few. Um, and that was my story. So um, I, I didn't come into a emaciated that was not that was not the problem and what happened was um that was gone a lot of feelings were coming up and i i just could not i couldn't control it anymore i couldn't stop eating uh while i was in there you know i remember i had this crush on a guy in there and it's always a good idea to get romantically involved when you're in a treatment center um and uh, i had a crush on this guy in there and there was a meeting and it, the, the seat was ne- empty next to me, and he came into the room, and he didn't sit next to me. And I was like, oh. And I got up and went, went right to the vending machine. And that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, my God, you know. And so the day that I got out of treatment on October 2nd, 1992, I heard about OA while I was up there, and I heard that they suggested you eat three meals a day. So the day I got out, I started eating three meals a day, and I started going to OA meetings. And, uh, you know, oh, my OA recovery was very different from my experience in other programs. I found that I really had to work for my OA recovery, um, especially back east. People were not – out here we have, like – we are so blessed here in California. I've, I've been places 
we have the best OA in the world here in California. I mean, it was born here. It's so strong. We have these phenomenal meetings in our backyard. We're so blessed. Um, I really had to hunt him down, and I lived in one of the, you know, I lived with my, my family in the Bronx, and I had to, like, travel an hour to get to a meeting, and um, I found some ones that were, they had dual focus, abstinent and sober, and I, I went to those, and that's when I heard, I remember hearing this woman share about, I remember specifically, she said that she used to get three meals out of a, pound, a box of spaghetti, and now she was only getting two, and she was asking herself what was going on in her life, that she was only getting two meals and not the three, and I, that's struck me so profoundly because I knew exactly what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and I started to realize, like, my brain is really miswired that whenever I have a problem, I think, you know, I'm just not making enough money. I need to make more money. I need a bigger meal. Um, I, I'm, I'm dating. I'm not dating the right guy. I'm not dating the best guy. Um, I should have more food with lunch. Um, you know, I, I like this apartment. I really would like a place over by in, in Santa Monica, and I wish it was bigger. And what should I change? I should change breakfast. You know, that's how my brain works. <laughs> you know, A plus B equals Q. You know, it just doesn't, there's a misfire. And, um, you know, it just is always this mental obsession that I, I just kind of, I don't know how I get to the food part, but whatever it is, it ends up food. It's funny. I've gotten to this huge. Uh, this my my. Um, I've gotten on the like vampire bandwagon with all these vampire novels that are out. And uh, I was thinking of it. I'm like, why do? It finally hit me why I love the whole vampire thing. They're compulsive overeaters. It's just blood. I'm like, oh, I totally get them. They're like they can't stop eating. Really, it's a different substance, but that's the problem, you know. And I was like, that's why I love these friggin' books, man, because they have this dark side and this gray side. They're, they're educated. They're very, you know, they're old souls, and I get that. And then they can't stop freaking eating. And uh, that's, I was like, no wonder I love these. So it, that, I am just the main hardcore, like we used to call it gutter girls. Like, that is my, my thing is food. And I'm in a lot of programs now, but really my mother disease is this OA thing. And, um, you know, I, my recovery, uh, I've been in, by the grace of God, I just celebrated uh, 18 years in here. Um, thank you. And I would love to stand up here and tell you my abstinence has been perfect the whole time. Um, about, about seven or eight years ago, I, I had a really tough time in OA. Before then, like, I pretty much had a clear abstinence, and I got, I got very restrictive with my abstinence. And then what happened is, and, and, and that can be bad because my experience has shown me that when I get too restrictive, if I go through a period of high-level restriction, there's going to be a pendulum swing where I'm going to want to eat whatever I'm going to want to eat. And so I have to be really careful about keeping it middle of the road. And um, and, in that, and that's a delicate balance. And, and so I had been very restrictive, and then I decided to be a little bit more lax with what I was eating. And I ended up putting on something like 10 or 15 pounds. And I had a really, it, I had a really hard time figuring out just what to eat for lunch. You know, I, I went through this. It was like a year of, of just really having a hard time with my food. I felt humiliated that there's, there was some, uh, there was the 10 or 15 pounds that came on. It was like so obvious to me that my program wasn't good and, you know, what the hell. And 
Um, I was in between sponsors, and um, it was an enormously difficult, challenging, it was really really humiliating for me to be in this spot. And I, I came like a hair's breadth close to completely losing my abstinence. And so um, I, I just had to get back to basics. I'm like, all right, who, where, it's like those three questions. Uh, where's my home group? Who's my sponsor? What step am I on? And so I got back to the nuts and bolts, and I got a service commitment and, um, and, and put the focus back on the spiritual side of the program. Um, the step work in here has really saved my life. I'm really big on, we have the 12 steps and the 12 traditions in LA, and I always say they are equally important. The 12 steps keep me, my house clean, my life clean, my side of the street clean, and the 12 traditions keep the meeting and OA as a whole to keep that side of the street clean. And the longer I'm in here, the more I come to love, appreciate, and value the traditions as much as I do the steps. Uh, I'm a real big, big tradition believer, and I think it's very important to get to read them and get to know them because as we get more time in here, it becomes... It becomes important for me to be, because I've been around a while to, you know, where I'm at the meetings having a business meeting, people don't know how to do it to explain the, explain the process and to um, make sure that the message gets carried through the traditions in the meeting. My step work, it took me, I think, six or seven years to go through the steps the first time. Um, there were some pretty hard things for me to, to, come to come to a place of peace around. I got really, I really stalled out for a time there around the eighth or ninth step. My, my, my dynamic with my brother was one of the most difficult, um, the difficult places to come to an, to, to an amends with or to be willing to make an amends for my part because, because he had literally, he had physically beaten me. I had a very hard time coming to a place of peace in my relationship. And it was kind of like, I don't want to apologize. And he beat me up. You know, I'm not going to, nah, 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 nah. You know, I got a long, I got a list here of what he did, you know. And, and I heard a spiritual speaker talk once, and she said that when you have a resentment towards someone, you have energy going out towards that person. And I remember at the time, I used to have a lot of trouble getting dressed in the morning and figuring out what to wear. And as I stood in front of the closet one morning, it hit me that I had so many resentments and so much energy like, and I just pictured, like, these little wires going from my brain to theirs. And I had all, these ener- this, all this energy going out to these other people. I didn't have enough wherewithal to stand there and pick out my clothes to get dressed. You know what I mean? And I thought, I'm really paying the price for this. I am so paying the price for this. And that's when I became willing to really make, let go. Just let go of the hatred and resentment that I was feeling at that point in time. You know, remember I, I wrote my brother a letter, and I just apologized for instigating those fights with him. And um, I, I think I, you know, sort of extended the olive branch and said that I hoped that we could move forward um, in our in our sibling relationship. And I got no response. There's no response. And but the thing is, you know, I sent the letter, you know, and I could move on. That was the thing. I sent the letter. Um, it took it took my brother. Um, he was down uh, in New York on September 11th. He was there, and I remember the horror when I realized it was the building across from his that had been bombed. I just remember the horror, and I, I remember speaking to him that night, and he was okay. And I was so relieved. And he went through that experience, and he it, that changed him. He was he's a different person now. From I, you know, that took a lot. That <laughs> was a big like bomb going off for him to like change his disposition. But he, you know, we have an amicable relationship now. It's, um, I find with my family members that they're kind of like, 
they can be like you know how character defects will come come up to haunt you when you least expect it. They kind of re- recur, like the like they just you know you think oh I thought I beat that one and then all of a sudden it's up in the in your face again. Well, uh, I find with my family members I'll I'll feel like whoo finally slayed that beast and then I'll spend like three solid days with them and I'm like back to like I'm five again. I'm in the you know it's like I'm nine. I'm in school. I'm the only girl. I'm the fat kid. You know and I got to go back and do my step work and. And so it's it's really really challenging, but I just try and uh, try and stay spiritually connected with that. But but you know I say it did take me a long time that six or seven years to really work through the steps and really come to a place of peace around around all of them. I I had some pretty deep seated stuff with my mother and my father, and um, you know my mother had uh, stolen money and done some other things and um, my father was a philanderer and I and I had lost respect for him and um, I felt that he owed me numerous apologies and had, I had never received them and I was really able to let a lot of that stuff go and and move on and so I I you know I guess I always say that um, for certain things in life I, I there are certain th- abundant things in life I have yet to experience but I do have the experience of really healing with my family and they're crazy, and um, you know there could there could probably be psychological books writ- written about them that would be you know encyclopedia level thick. But uh, uh, you know they're my family, and um, I'm sure that they could re- write a psychological book about me that would be quite quite a bit thick. Um, so I, I've come to a place of love and peace with them. Um, this year has been a very pivotal year in my life uh, and in, in, in my recovery. I made a decision last year that I was working at a job that I was profoundly unhappy in, in a field that I've been working in for 10 years, and um, I made the decision to leave the job. And um, I made the decision to leave the job because I learned in here that I have a spiritual relationship with my higher power that I work on on a daily basis doing prayer and meditation. And in prayer and meditation, um, it was like Amityville Horror. Get out! You know, like when I think about the job, it's like, get out! You know? <laughs> and, uh, and I'd be like, no, no, I can't. It's a you know, bad economy. I was like, get out! So finally, um, I just really started listening to the internal voice. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I surrounded myself, too, with women in OA who, they're, you know, they don't BS. They just don't BS, and um, I, I'm not. I have to like respond to that inner voice. I can't. I can't not respond to it. And I started to make a plan, and I left the job. And um, you know, this has been this has been such a, a, a challenging time for me. And when, when I first got sober and abstinent, I felt like my brain had just been cracked open, and I just nothing seemed familiar. It was all new. Um, I just felt a lot of terror, and it, just coming away, finding this whole new way of life. I had to be around people constantly, and, and humbling, you know, as humbling as it, as it was, I found myself there again this summer. You know, at almost 18 years, just completely ripped open again. Initially, I thought I would pursue something, uh, you know, maybe entertainment related, and it didn't seem to be panning out. And I took a restaurant job, and that was a nightmare. And um, um, which was humbling for me, and um, you know, I left quickly because I'm the kind of person who sticks it out, and it didn't work, and I had to leave. And um, 
And there was a day where I woke up and I thought, what if I don't get another job? You know, and I looked around at my life and I thought, I might lose my car. I could lose my apartment. I might lose, I might have to get rid of my phone. I won't be able to pay for my phone. I might have to move back with my family who I'm at peace with, but living, no, no, that's not a good idea. And and I really looked around and I, I had, um, I had a real, like, I had a moment there where I realized that I had really taken for granted everything that I had built and achieved in my life. And that uh, for uh, several years, because of my, part of, partly because of my misery in this job, I looked at everything as half empty. You know, I have a job, but it's not the job I want. I have a car, but it's not, you know, and everything I, in my life I could point at and I'd give you a whole story about why it wasn't really good enough and why, um, why I, I should be ashamed of it, why it was not quite what I really wanted. And when I, this summer when I, when I, when the job crisis happened, I, I thought, oh my God, I don't want to lose everything I have. Like, I like this, I like this stuff. Like, that freaking car, man! I worked so hard to get that freaking car. You know, Just take that car from the phone. Like, yeah, I really want that phone, but you know what? I need this phone. I got to call my sponsor. I have people I need to talk to, and and things really. I just had this whole shift of really starting to appreciate what I had created in my life and look at it as like, wow, you know, holy, holy crud, you know. Um, you know, one of the things, and I, I don't, I don't often talk about this because I'm very self-conscious about it. I don't, I, I, and I, humility is very important to me. I, I don't ever want to sound like a braggart, but I got really into dance in recovery, and I've had people pay me to come and perform so they can watch my physical body do movement. And for the fat girl in the schoolyard who no one would even talk to to be paid to go somewhere so people can watch the movements. I mean, that's like, wow. You know, and, and my disease was so, um, like, well, you didn't dance there, and you didn't dance there, you didn't get paid to dance there, so it doesn't matter, you suck, you know. And so, and so this summer, I just had this whole kind of turnaround with just feeling really grateful, you know, for what I have in my life. And I really... I was the one who, when the meeting, the topic was gratitude, I'd be like, fuck it, oh, he picked that one again. Oh, come on, you know. So, uh, <laughs> we, and, you know, we only need to keep coming. Some are sicker than others. And uh, so, I'll, I'll admit it. And, um, and so, it, it, it was a really humbling thing for me, a really profound moment. And, and in the midst of those two days, I was whacked with a fear. I, I, I literally couldn't eat. I couldn't eat, and uh, it's ne- never happened to me in my life. I think maybe I've had, I've had the flu. I've been so sick I couldn't eat, but I've never been so filled with fear that the acid burn in my stomach was so bad that I couldn't put food down, and I just was so petrified about what was going to happen to my life and my work and, and the shame of, um, you know, telling my family and, and what my friends thought and what the people around me thought, and... Uh, you know, these little these little things just happened. You know, I went to see about a job at this place, and I was sick with fear. I, I could I we had to, I had to wait in a long line, and I was so feeling so sick. I had to like sit and lean against the wall while I was waiting online. And this guy was in line behind me who 
Uh, he was a very spiritual guy, I guess, and a chatterbox. And he just went on and on and on. And at first I was like, what, you know? You know, from New York, we don't talk to people when we're in a line. And, you know, but, and, and I, I just was like, what? And then I just, I just started listening to him. And he got my mind off the pain in my stomach and the problems in my life. And he just kept talking and talking. And then he was talking about how, you know, it, how his mother died and how it was this wonderful experience where they went and, you know, got her ready for the, sh- the funeral. And he was like a devout Buddhist or whatever. And he just went on and on. And and for like two hours we were stuck in this line and he just was talking and I was just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it was such a gift because I had like a two-hour reprieve from the pain in my stomach while I was standing online with him. And there were all those little things that happened. And um, I pretty much was worried I was having a nervous breakdown because it felt like it. And... Um, and, and somehow or another, uh, you know, those days passed. I had a friend in OA. I really just fell apart in front of her, and she helped me to get at least a job for a week or two, and that was really, that was like, I'm just so grateful. And she didn't run screaming when I cried on her shoulder, and she was there for me. And, and to have someone witness me in such a complete blob mess form and still stay in my life was, you know, amazing for me. It was an amazing experience. Um, and it's not one I ever would have voluntarily experienced, by the way. I don't like, uh, you know, they have a saying in here, you can't save your ass and your face at the same time, you know. Uh, and I, I don't like that. <laughs> I want to, like, look like Marilyn Monroe and have some challenges. You know, I don't want to have you, like, bawling, crying with, you know, my nose running, you know, mascara all down my face over whatever's going on in my life. And I've had to do a lot of that in here because, you know what, that's really where the recovery comes it's like by being butt naked emotionally with people and like let them know, letting them know what's really going on. Like that's how I've gotten better. Um, so it was. It's been a, like a really humbling time, and um, you know, I had these re- revelations about myself during that time where I realized, you know, I had been working in education for ten years, and I realized, you know, I I like to break things down for people. I'm good at breaking things down. I'm good at showing, explaining things. Like that's what I'm good at doing. And so, um, you know, I, I got another job doing more teaching stuff, but in a different way and for people who seem really grateful. And uh, and so, um, you know, for today it's good. I don't think the journey's over yet. I don't know, I don't know what's coming next for me. Um, I just feel like I've been cracked open in a way. Um, and and uh, <laughs> I was talking to this woman who was saying, you know, she's like, um, it seems like you create some crisis in your life. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I fucking do. How do I cut this shit out? And she's like, you know, um, and she, she wasn't someone I knew from program. She goes, it would be really helpful for you to work with people in crisis. Then you won't feel the need to create crisis in your life. And so I'm like, you know what? I need I need some more sponsees. And another sponsee came in my life. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, that's great, right? Because they got plenty of crisis. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'd be grateful and listen and have the experience of having walked through what they're going through. And I have a whole new appreciation for what it feels like to be new and um, just feel like your brain is, you know, just completely mocus and you can't, you can't understand what's going on. And the profound fear. You know, it's very scary what we do when we when we come in here. It's a whole life change. Recovery is like this searchlight, and it hits every 
freaking nook and cranny in your life whether you want it to or not. And um, every area of my life has been transformed. Um, you know, like I said, I'm in a lot of programs now. I can't spend money, have a date, uh, you know, see a drink or, you know, eat some food without a program and 10 phone calls. You know, that's how it goes. And, uh, and, uh, and it's humbling and I, and a lot of, I, as I said, you know, before my little gratitude epiphany this summer, I was like, come on. Like one thing could come naturally. You know, I just am so grateful I don't like to gamble. Because it's pretty much the only one. Like, I don't see the point in it. I lose 50 cents. I'm like, I could have done some laundry. I don't see the point. And thank God, because uh, there's like one less meeting that I have to go to. Um, you know, I, I, I really go through such great lengths to try and help myself. I have to say, I, I, there's all sorts of outside things I've done. And it talks here in here in the big book about seeking professional help where, where needed. I've done that um, because, for me, the recovery has had to be physical, emotional, and spiritual. If someone had hurt me physically, I had to get body work done. Um, for the spiritual work, I've done a lot of things here in OA. I've found the, the, big, the big thing that gets me back to center is step work and talking to my sponsor. But then sometimes I go to other, like I'll go to a lecture here, I'll check out this thing, I'll check out that thing. There's so many wonderful things to help us, um, especially in like New Age Los Angeles, that it's great and I really try to take advantage of those things too. Uh, but, but but what I gain here in OA, like the the, the needle point, gets me back to that center needle point. What I do in here, um, and I and I just pray to have uh, balance and and around my food, um, you know. And and people will say things to me. They'll they you know you always get I always get these comments like it's this new job and they're like oh you eat so healthy. Oh, yeah, do you always have that? Oh, you're always having vegetables. And, um, you know, I'm just like, honey, I have no idea. Or people say to me things like, I could never picture you fat. And uh, I'm like, oh, really? Let me show you the pictures, you know, because, it, you know, it's five weeks, ladies and gentlemen. I can do it, you know, and uh, it, it's, it's really interesting. And I, I need to always maintain that humility that um, it's, just, it's just my, it, the only barrier between me and that food and that waking is me and my higher power. And I try to remember that it takes, like, you slip before you have a relapse. There's slippery slopes. And I really watch out for those slippery slopes. I try to keep my food as clean as, as possible. And, like, OA meetings are non-negotiable. Like, i got to get to them. You know, i got to get to them. I was in a lot this summer. And, um, you know, tonight I had a lot going on today. This is my second meeting today. But uh, it's like, you know, I have to get here to OA and, um, and really make sure that that, that comes first. Um, I'm not really, you know, I could be in a, in a, in a five-star hotel in another country on a fantastic vacation. If my lunch wasn't clean, I'm not going to enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. It's just, just how I, that's how I roll. You know what I mean? Like, the food's got to be clean, or, I'm, or I don't enjoy my life. It's really got to be clean. And so, I, you know, I'm just grateful for that. And for, for my sponsor and the people that I have in a way who help me to, to keep that level of balance. Being abstinent takes work. Um, it takes planning. Uh, I have to go to the grocery store. I, I don't know why I get very annoyed by this. You know, I feel like I should be, I feel like I should be like some a movie star and have a personal chef. And I, I have to go to the grocery store and I have to plan. I have to cook it, and uh, you know, it's, I find all of this very cumbersome. And um, 
I, I don't know why exactly, uh, but um, I I just try and, and when I feel that way, I have to be grateful. I mean, I'm like, well, Maria, you can put on 50 pounds. Okay, I'm gonna cook that meal, you know. And it's really that's that's just how, just kind of where I have to go to with it. It's it's a lot of work being abstinent. It's a lot of work, but I have a lot of sanity, you know. And, and especially with the holidays coming up. A lot of times I'll be at these meals where I thought about it, I prayed about it, I went to ten meetings, I talked to this one, I talked to that one, I talked to the other one, I decided what was going to eat on the table, blah, blah, blah. The meal comes, I pray, I have an abstinent meal. After the meal, other people at the table, oh, I can't believe I ate so much, it feels so sick. Oh, i got to lie down, i got to unbutton my pants. And I'm like, oh, okay. So all that work I did... There's a there's there's a reason why I do all that work so that I'm not like these people right now because the normal person is like oh man I ate too much oh well I'm like oh I ate too much I think I'll kill myself I think I'll commit suicide I had too much food I I should jump off a bridge you know that's so that's that's just how how it goes so um, I'm really grateful for OA I'm so grateful today for my for my abstinence and all the wonderful things I get to have as a result of being in, in this program if, if you're new and just keep coming back you know this this process is a long one it's a long journey and for today like I'm just really willing to take a look at whatever I can do to help myself so thanks a lot for letting me share I guess we have two minutes, so we have time for, like, a quick question, or... Oh, hello. Hi. Um, how has your work in other programs helped you in OA? Okay. So the question is, how has my work in other programs helped me in OA? I could stand here all day and talk about that one. Um, let's see. So I'm in the food program, the money program, the relationship program, um, the drink program, uh, just in case you were wondering... I eat a lot, or I want to eat a lot over relationships with other people. So um, I found that, you know, always for help with my abstinence. And I found that I had deep-seated issues that needed to be addressed both with professional help and another program because what was happening was food obsession was worsening and the desire to compulsively overeat was coming to the forefront because of uh, dynamics coming up in relationships that I didn't know how to handle. Um, I also have gone through periods where my inability to create, uh, support myself, be self-supporting through my own contributions, put me in a scenario where I didn't have money to buy food, and I need to uh, go to another program to make sure that that doesn't happen. And like I said, with with drinking, um, I was not able to make wise food choices when drunk. Um, you know, a pizza or you know the, the whole you know just the things I ate were just terrible. And I found that they do work well together because I have uh, I've worked the 12 steps in four different programs now, and um, it just has has really helped me to not have the food uh, recur as as um, a manifestation of my addiction because I'm taking a look at the issues that cause me to eat. So I hope that answers your question. Okay. All right. That's all the time we have. Thanks so much for letting me.